Hey everyone, welcome to episode 31 of the Brosnan Detroit Pistons podcast. Last time we talked, we were hadn't quite started playing well with Ish Smith leading the Pistons, and we were waiting for uh, Reggie Jackson to come back, and we were talking about how we're treading water. And we just thought, man, once Reggie Jackson comes back, we're going to be so, then our offense will be good and our defense will still be really good and we'll rise to the top four seeds, maybe to the four seed in the East. And as it turns out, um, since then, we started playing really well without Reggie Jackson. And when he came back, it threw a wrench in things. Yeah, it it just seemed like both he was rusty and the team didn't know how to play with him. Uh, He kind of didn't have that explosiveness, but he was still using possessions in the same way. You know, he would do a pick and roll and just not be able to get to the rim. And then it was like, okay, now what? And then we start passing it around and jacking up a shot. And our our offense just really got bad during that time. And it wasn't great before then. Yeah. So so this episode, we're going to talk about how we've been doing lately, what what it means for, for Reggie to come back into the lineup, um, how our initial hopes of the season, you know, maybe having forty six wins are slightly dashed, but there being kind of a a silver lining that still gives us a chance to improve in the playoffs this year, even if our overall win total is not way better than last year. So, I mean, diving right into how how good we were playing just before Reggie's return, I remember being really excited. We were like, I had this five and one streak. We had a decisive win over the full strength Clippers. Uh, we had a blowout win over the Celtics by like 20 points. Um, at that point, we had like a top five defense in the league. And just, you know, things were really rolling. And then Reggie Jackson comes back, and we're all rubbing our hands together. And it turned out that we had reorganized our offense to have Ish Smith leading the starters. And, you know, especially KCP was getting the ball more, and Ish Smith did not need the ball in his hands as an offensive player very much. And when Reggie came back, why don't you talk about that aspect of things, just the distribution of the ball? Yeah, what I saw was that... Um, if Smith was a real asset on getting the ball up the floor and getting a few more points in transition where before the defense has a chance to get organized, taking advantage of you guys not switching onto their, onto their guy they're supposed to be defending quickly and things like that. And I feel like we got a couple of buckets a game that way. And then in the half court, if Smith didn't play very well, I mean, coming into our, our team, we knew that he wasn't an efficient offensive player. We just knew that he was fast and light and was a pass-first point guard. And so what we had was Ish Smith doing his best, which was, you know, a little better than Steve Blake level. But but we also had the roles becoming clear, and Marcus Morris and Tobias Harris and Contavious Caldwell-Pope knew they had to score. And so when they had good opportunities, they didn't hesitate. And, and I really saw that as an investment in the future of them knowing what they can do for us. And and the ball moved around a lot more. We were playing more of a team game. In addition to doing what we're always doing this last couple of years and uh, trying to get the ball to Andre Drummond in the post to build him into a threat there. And so we, we kind of figured that out. And, and, yeah, until Reggie came back, we maintained our kind of league average offense that we had last year, even without our best offensive player, Reggie Jackson, and then we got things humming on defense, and we're, yeah, top five on defense. And, and you know, what, what that led to was you know, being a 500 team where, you know, we're kind of a weird team where uh, based on our offensive and defensive ranks and how many points we give up and stuff, we, we should be better than 500. But we have this weird 
a situation where we we have a lot of blowouts, both for and against us, which we can talk about later. But that's what I saw with where Ish Smith. You know, we were we were a limited team with him starting, but there were some pros to having him uh, leading the way. And then when Reggie came back, we, he just I think he wasn't quite there yet. He was coming back from a you know, not a specific knee injury. It was like a re-aggravation or some swelling in his knee. And I think he just didn't have the explosiveness and he was rusty. And we just we just weren't used to playing with him. And he, he couldn't put the pressure on the defense that we, we, we count on him doing by getting by his man on the pick and roll. And then once you get the defense adjusting to a threat, it, that's when you can really be dangerous with all your other players. So that, that's that's what I saw happening immediately when Reggie got back. I think he's the last couple of games he's playing a little better, and you know maybe the team's been uh, figuring out how to play with him back too. But just actually him being more of a threat is is probably the key there. That your point about us looking really good when Ish Smith was pushing it, he was really developing some chemistry there. With uh, I remember just getting some transition dunks for both John Luer and for. Tobias. And, and it just sort of felt like we had this rhythm where we'd run up and, and have a threat where we'd have some trailers. And then we would also be have a lot of opportunities for open threes for Marcus Morris and KCP. And it, it just sort of felt like, especially that Celtics game, that was that we just looked so good in that game. Like, our off, like not only are, is our defense playing really well, but our offense like can't really be stopped. Like, we're, we're, we scored, um, you know, I think we, we ended up scoring 121 points that game. And just made it look really easy. So that was, uh, I mean, that that was probably just one of our best offensive games of the season. And we're not always going to play that well, but it just kind of seemed like we had a real flow there. But that, that doesn't mean that that's going to be our best overall uh, way. It's not like we should just bench Reggie right now. And so we were just really bad for like the first three games or four games, and people started to panic. Um, Stan Van Gundy was having some of getting some national attention for saying we're a complete disgrace and we should be ashamed of ourselves and, and things like that. Um, and it's, it's sort of like, okay, cool it there, <laughs> SVG. Um, that, that's why Shaq called him the master of panic when he uh, played for the Heat and Stan Van Gunny was the coach there. And uh, I, th- I think that really bothered Shaq. And uh, ultimately, Stan got fired during during one season and uh, Pat Riley took over and coached them to a championship. (laughs) (laughs) Oh man. Yeah. So if he had played a little more cool, maybe he would have history would be totally different for us. He'd be a celebrated heat coach in the hall of fame or something. But uh, so anyway, we, but Stan Van Gundy was right to just not accept that for too much, too much longer. And I think, so he was saying, we certainly aren't going to keep this lineup. And I think, it seemed like the most likely thing, according to some of the pundits and some of the people on NBA Reddit, was to bring John Luer in, and he'd be our. He was playing really well off the bench, and the person that seemed most likely to be shifted to the bench would be Marcus Morris because he's probably our. Between him and um, Tobias Harris, Tobias Harris is like you know pay, pay, paid more and younger, and it just seemed weird to have him come off the bench. But you pointed out astutely that Tobias Harris is another person who really needs his, the ball in his hand to score. And that kind of clashes with Reggie Jackson's need for that. Um, so, and if Reggie Jackson would be willing to come in off the bench and, and, and really wreak havoc on second units of the other team, that could be ideal. And it turns out that's what we ended up doing. And, it, and it's it, there's some signs of that working pretty well. Yeah, and I had noticed additionally that uh, Tobias seemed to be looking really good uh, with Reggie out of the lineup. So, yeah, I think that, that that's something we can 
we can go with going forward. I, I think long term, it, it seems like, you know, Marcus Morris is, is more a veteran in the middle of his prime, whereas all some of the other guys are younger. You know, as this team evolves over the years, probably there isn't room for Lure, Harris, and Morris on on the roster. But I think we can get through the rest of the season and maybe next um, with this. And or who knows, maybe we'll switch back at some point. You, you just never know. But I, I, I just I saw a lot of uh, John Lure taking some open shots when he just as well could have either taken the open jumper or pass it to Marcus Morris, who was open. And Marcus seemed frustrated with that. You know, I'm, I'm I'm playing Bill Simmons, the body language doctor there. Maybe I don't know what that's worth, but um, but anyway, yeah. When Reggie first came back, we 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 went to 29th in uh, in the league in offense. We went from average to like the worst, and um, and then we went we dropped to league average on defense too. And that seemed like more of a morale motivation issue. Just what you know, when things aren't going well on offense, we don't try as hard on defense. And then also, you know, the more shots you miss, the more fast break points the other team gets. We don't have the detailed breakdown of the stats to allow us to separate out, you know, how well they're playing in the half court, how versus, you know, giving more, giving up more fast break opportunities. But um, you know, since we made that change. It's not. It hasn't completely turned everything around. In fact, our defense has stayed about league average in those four games uh, before you know tonight uh, we beat the Heat. But uh, at least our offense has gotten back to close to league average, from worse to you know being within shouting distance of league average. So it's. Uh, I think it's just a slow grind back. But but I, Reggie himself has been playing well. He's been scoring. He's had a couple of 20-point games. Um, you know, I'm hopeful that we could really get some momentum going uh, the rest of the season now that we've had this, you know, period of discombobulation. Definitely. And I'm also pleased to see that Tobias Harris is playing really well off the bench. And maybe he can embrace being a sixth man. Uh, I mean, he has embraced it. And he's still he's still getting nearly the same amount of minutes. And another thing I've noticed is that the lineups are not – we kind of – rotate in different pieces of the bench kind of slowly. I don't know, like Drummond and Marcus Morris tend to stay out there the longest and we'll kind of sub in Ish Smith and, and then Tobias. It's almost like the starting lineup before Reggie Jackson got back. We kind of get our like a second starting lineup for a little bit where you have Ish Smith and Tobias Harris with Drummond and Morris and KCP for maybe five or six minutes until we start to finally bring in uh, the rest of the bench guys. And it makes me wonder whether it's a stopgap or if it's, um, you know, just a, a gimmick that we're going with to try to just shake things up because it, it's unusual to be staggering things like that, to be changing the lineup every, every five minutes in the game. Um, and I'm not exactly sure why it's unusual, um, but there must be a reason. And, and I think that you, what I see is that typically the starters play, more or less the first seven to nine minutes of the of the quarter and the last seven to nine minutes of the second quarter, and that that repeats in the second half. So there's this period at the end of the first quarter and the beginning of the second quarter, end of the third, beginning of the fourth, where you either have all bench guys or almost all bench guys in. Um, I think it's you know it's pretty common to feather in one starter there with, with the bench guys a little bit, um, but. Uh, I think the reason for that must be that uh, guys get into a rhythm better. They get if you're playing with the same guys, you can um, you know get to know each other's tendencies and so forth. Um, but on the other hand, you know we've built this roster that 
what we lack in super duper star talent, we can hopefully make up for in versatility. We've got both big and small guys who can play forward. We've got um, basically at shooting guard, small forward and power forward and center. We can play big and small version, quick versions of uh, guys. And we have guys who can shoot or at least from the mid range and out to three pointer at, at each of those positions. So that versatility, you know, it, it, what it can mean is that you're changing your lineups a lot. I think that'll be really useful for the playoffs when we come up with a specific matchup where we can really game plan. During the season, I think there's that tension between taking advantage of your versatility and keeping your lineups consistent. Yeah, and I, I have a feeling there's a little bit more experimentation than even would make sense in the long run. Because I remember watching the game the other night and seeing that both Reggie Jackson and Ish Smith were on the floor at the same time. Uh, and that just seemed like a, a, a weird lineup. I, I wonder if they're just trying to slice and get data on more lineups to kind of make a final decision. But I do think that cheating in – I, I do think the Pistons have done that for a while where Mark, uh, some of the players tend to play, you know, closer to 40 – closer to 38, you know, 35, 38 minutes. And some some of the starters will play more like 28, 30 minutes. And just that mismatch alone will give you some sort of late quarter staggering of things. That's true. And, and you know, we've, we have had our um, Reggie Bullock, who's was supposed to be our main backup shooting guard. He's been out for a couple of weeks with, with uh, some injury. I forget what his injury was. So, you know, our choices are to play Darren Hilliard, who's not as good or Stanley Johnson, who's kind of too big to be at the ideal shooting guard. So I think that dual point guard action was kind of during a, um, yeah, when we're struggling a lot and we're just trying something. I, I actually didn't catch that game, so uh, I can't really speak to how, how well that worked. Yeah, and so since John Luer was, uh, began starting, we've had a couple of bright spots. We beat the Cavs. Uh, they were coming off a of back-to-back, and they didn't have LeBron playing. But still, I mean, Kevin Love and Kyrie Irving, we, we beat them decisively. Uh, we held our own against the Warriors. I mean, they probably weren't bringing their A game in, but still, I mean, we we brought it down to the wire at the end. And, and that was that was exciting just to see us competing with the best team in the league or one of the best, those two best teams in the league. Uh, and then we've also had some, some, some rough spots. We got blown out by the Bucks the other night, which lo- who looked really good that game, by the way. Um, Giannis, the Greek freak is, I mean, he could be a top five player uh, in the next couple of years, I think. Yeah, he's ridiculous. Um, but, so anyway, I mean, I, I kind of feel like I'm not ready to be like, oh, things are great now. Uh, but there's, I do think there's reason to not panic. But one thing's for sure, even even if we do get back on track, We've already lost, you know, say five games just in, in shuffling in, in kind of being worse at the beginning of the season without Reggie Jackson and then having to figure it out again. Uh, and that those five games are going to, you know, that, that that's the difference between having a, a, a much better season than last year and being a, a top four team and, and not. So uh, we're kind of looking we're kind of looking at hoping to have a record like we did last year now by the end of the season. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we were really hopeful that. Reggie being out would just cost us a couple of games and we could just pick up where we left off. Um, yeah. And we're, we're this really weird team where we're, we're not just sort of drifting up and down a little bit in quality from game to game. We, we just have wild variations in quality. I, I we just lo- looked up some of the point differentials of our, of our games. We've had only three games decided by five points or less this season, and we're 0-3 in those games, so we haven't been able to close the deal. Um, you know, So we've played 35 games, and less than 10% of them have been close uh, at the end. 
Now, some of those, like that Golden State game, I think was you know a seven-point game or so. Things can get away at the end, but you know what I mean. But we've had nine games decided by 20 or more points. We've had five wins and, five, and four losses that were utter blowouts. And then if you extend that to 15-point margins, we're 9-8 and eight in 15-point games. So it's just, just it's absolutely crazy. I think we, we blew out and were blown out by the, the Clippers. And so you take that with the, the fact that we're, we've had some really long stretches having great defense um, and then Reggie throwing off our offense. What I'm seeing as a kind of a unifying theory here is that we're really kind of a rhythm and morale-based team, and we can get on some absolutely devastating stretches where we get things humming on defense, we get a stop, and that gets us into the mindset where we're we're playing disciplined and offense, passing the ball around, executing our plan, and then once we score, that motivates us to try hard on defense. And we can and we can get fast break points. And when we're playing great defense, we tire out the other team trying to score on us, and then that helps our offense. So it's just like there's these feedback loops where when we get it going, we can we can actually just blow teams out of the water. And we have those nine. What would I say? Oh yeah, we have those nine fifteen point wins. Um, and then the other thing can happen. I, I just doesn't it seem like if we you know miss a shot or something doesn't go well, we turn it over. We're a little slow to get back, and then we get a little lost on defense. Especially Andre seems to get frustrated, and then our defense just isn't as good when we're not as good on offense. Yeah, I've noticed that too, and maybe I've noticed it more the other way, where our defense will get a stop or a or a turnover, rush it down the floor, get a really good shot, and then make it, and then have a chance to get set again, like that sort of rhythm. You know, which I'm not sure which comes first in terms of the chicken and egg thing, but that that sort of rhythm seems to really affect us. Uh, and Drummond in particular, I have noticed him uh, when he, you know, when he misses one of his uh, curl to the baseline hook shots, and or or you know just doesn't misses a couple of shots, having less motivation. That that's sort of hit or miss. I've noticed that on and off. Um, but yeah, a lot of it comes down to being to playing really hard consistently. One thing that's tough for me to gauge is that I don't watch other teams with the same eye by any means as the Pistons. So maybe that's kind of how most teams feel. Like most NBA teams can feel the roster that at any given night can play really well. Um, I still feel, though, like not many teams have blown out the Clippers this year, you know, for example. And that game, we looked like we belonged to doing that. It wasn't like, I mean, maybe Chris Paul. They had they had, they had had Chris Paul, and they had their full lineup, and, and there was no obvious reason why they shouldn't have played us a lot stronger. So, um I don't know. I, I do feel like we have it in us to play really well. And what's exciting about that is if we can get into the playoffs and just not face the Cavs or, or Toronto, um, then that would be that I would go into it pretty excited. The, so the challenge is, like I was saying just a second ago, we are basically hoping to be about as good as we were last year by the time the season's over. Like if if we win 60% of the rest of our games for the season, we'll finish 44 and 38 like we did last year. However, here's where we have a, hot, a shot. Unlike last year, that would get us the fourth seed at the current pace of the of the East right now. Whereas last year, that barely got, that got us the eighth seed. And the reason that is, is like the, I remember in our intro to the season podcast, we were saying gone are the days where being a 500 team gets you the eighth seed. Well, they're back. The, the, the East sucks again. Or there's like this, the middle, the big middle class of the East has all been shifted down 
proportionally because the Cavs are so much better and the uh, and Toronto's playing great as well. And 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 I think uh, the Celtics are the one team that have kind of clawed their way out of that pack, and they're actually you know measured markedly better than the rest of that pack of people. Yeah, I mean, I agree with everything you said. It, um, but we we should point out that you know saying we, maybe we could claw our way to the fifth seed. That that really is possible given how devastating our team can be once we get it going. But right now we're the twelfth seed. I mean, we we got to stop a crap in the bed and and make the playoffs. We have, um, I mean, geez, our, our record's almost the same as Orlando's, which is a, just a basket case. Um, and then you know, Indiana has some talented players, including Paul George, who's better than every player on our team. Uh, the Chicago Bulls started out well, and you know they seem to have some turmoil right now. I feel pretty good about passing the Chicago Bulls um, if we get it going and, and they stay in the doldrums. The New York Knicks, you know, they have Kristaps uh, Porzingis and the uh, and Carmelo Anthony there, but they've got a bunch of guys who could get injured at any time. You know, Joakim Noah and Derrick Rose, and they have no bench. The Washington Wizards have been really hot and cold. The, those are a bunch of teams. If, if we pass all those teams, we get to the seventh seed, um, and that's it. It really is realistic. Um, we we just and another thing we have in our back pocket is we really do seem to invest a lot of possessions in trying to get Andre the ball in the post for his his hook shots and stuff. And gosh, you know, I I've been talking about that in in kind of a, a positive way as an investment in the future, but now that we're kind of in danger of missing the playoffs, I'm starting to wonder whether we should. Uh, reallocate our portfolio, if you will, and, and just uh, start having Tobias Harris and Marcus Morris use more possessions and and just have Andre go back to being a pick-and-roll threat over and over again and doing rim runs after rebounds. I think there's a middle-of-the-road solution where we don't we don't have to expect him to, to, to not ever take like take a pass into the post and, and do a post move. It would just be like I every game I watch, I can just picture Special K – uh, Greg Kelser saying, "Oh, you know, if Drummond just was one step further, uh, it, it would be all the difference between the, that shot he just missed horribly as he curled to the baseline and took a hook shot, and, and he'll he'll make it, you know, forty percent of the time. So it's not like so bad that you can't imagine him continuing to do it. But maybe it's like if someone can just drill into his head, you get a pass in the post. If you've maintained your position and you're able to turn towards the basket, take it. If you can't, pass the freaking ball out. But now it's almost like when he gets the ball, he has this." Idea to said that's like his his right to take the shot no matter what. I I am sensing some of that too. A, a, a more positive spin on that might be that he's inexperienced and he in fighting for position. And so by the time he gets it, so he can get the ball, he has zero point five seconds left to do something and get out of the lane before he gets called for three seconds. And so it might it might be less of an entitlement, more of a. Uh, him throwing up a shot is a better outcome than getting a three-second call, um, but that comes that that's again an investment in experience. So I think just you know getting down the floor early. I mean, it it just sounds like a real grind, pain in the ass to be a big man in the NBA. You have to sprint down the floor and then start grappling with with three hundred pound men to to move six inches closer to the basket. And then you don't even get the ball half the time. And then you have to sprint back and be in charge of anchoring the defense. But, you know, hey, I guess that's the way they get paid the big bucks. Yeah, I mean, he's making, what, several hundred thousand dollars per game. I hope he can muster the motivation. I mean, it's easy to say that. But, um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, this is, this is the, these are the years where he's going to determine whether he just becomes, like, 
uh, a decent veteran of the NBA who's a starting center or actually a perennial all-star. And he still has, we hope that this might be the year where he took a huge step. He hasn't. Uh, I think we still have another, maybe two seasons before we have to hang our hats up and say, well, he's not going to become that. But it's, it's becoming a little bit harder to make the case. Uh, sometimes I make the case to some of my friends who kind of shake their heads. Like my our friend Graham, before the season, he's like, no, he doesn't have it. I can just tell like his, he doesn't have that. Uh, he doesn't, he's not a competitor. And I, I sort of was annoyed by that because I, I, I like to think he has a lot of potential still, but um, I think people like that who already see him not, you know, playing like a complete animal all the time and always being focused, uh, they, they kind of always turn to that as him being like a, a bad contract and things like that. It's too, it's still too early, but starting to get a little bit nervous. Like it would have been nice to see a, a jump so far. Absolutely. Uh, the source of our hope here was that the aged uh, 23 season, which is now his fourth season, you know, th- that's usually not the peak of a big man. Big men usually are at their best in their late twenties. Um, but you know, uh, Dwight Howard was really great at ages 22, 23, 24, because he relies on athleticism a lot. And that was the the biggest analog we had for him. A guy who is a great rebounder, bad free throw shooter, anchor of a Stan Van Gundy-led team hoping to get deep in the playoffs in the East. But and Moses Malone was the other guy I was thinking of who is a really great offensive rebounder and started in the league young. Age 23 is when he went from being... He made the all-star team at age 22, but then he started being an MVP candidate from age 23 through, you know, his mid-30s. And, you know, Drummond, his, he's, he really hasn't progressed in terms of his overall output. He's just making these little incremental changes. He He's playing about the same statistically last this year as he did last year. You know, if you look at PER as a kind of an out-the-door a stat that, you know, I, I don't love it, but it tells you something. He's the 10th best center in the league, um, the 30-something best player in the league among guys who play a, play a lot. That's not great. Um, he could... He, yeah, he's an, above, he's an above average starting center. Above average starting center. That's not why we gave him a max contract. That's not why, um, by all speculation, Stan Van Gundy based his decision to come here on the 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 fact that we were anchored by by Drummond. Um, probably the five million bucks a year that he's getting and control of the team helped that as well. Um, so, so uh, you know, I'm st- I've been trying to think the last couple of weeks here. W- w- where are we with Andre Drummond's development? Because w- w- the only way we're going to get out of this, will we make the playoffs? Can we get the? Can we? Oh my gosh, wouldn't it be great if we got the fifth seed? The only way we get out of that and get towards the top of the conference is, is wherever Andre can take us, however high he can take us, because. We're basically done with cards to play on um, acquiring talent. You know, we're, we're going to be drafting in the middle of the draft from now on. We've got a bunch of veterans. We don't have any cap room to sign some spectacular guy, uh, free agent signing. You know, we I suppose we could uh, piece some guys together and, and make a trade, you know, to, to upgrade one position. But basically, if Andre becomes an all-NBA caliber player, we be, can become contenders, and if not, it's it's really hard to see how we get there. Uh, well, so, I, but hey, all, all, all we need to do is package up KCP and Marcus Morris for Paul George, right? <laughs> yeah, that, that that was some uh, great speculation out there. I mean, it wouldn't be it wouldn't be crazy if we traded KCP this year because we're in contract negotiations. But it would be crazy for Indiana to do that trade. So 
you know, who knows? I, I'm notoriously bad on thinking of trade scenarios, so I'm, I'm going to not indulge myself there and, and think of some. Um, but, you know, anyway, I was thinking about, so, you know, where where are we with Andre? The On the good side, he it, he has a level of rebounding steals and blocks that is really rare. I mean, it's really basically like Hakeem Olajuwon and David Robinson and like maybe one season from Marcus Camby, if people remember him from the 90s and early 2000s, um, that, uh, of anybody having the combination of rebounding and steals um, and with a little bit of shot blocking that, that Andre Drummond has, um, not just at a young age like he is, but at any age. And and so that just that just feels like it's got to be important. I mean, if you look at a per hundred possession basis, he's got he's got like twenty four points, twenty four rebounds. That just sounds like a Hall of Fame level guy. You know, you you look at him. Well, why isn't he doing what Moses Malone did? Well, Moses Malone made seventy percent of his free throws and 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 got fouled a lot, so he shot twelve free throws a game or something like that. So. Uh, that that's a shortcoming for Andre. Well, why isn't he doing what Dwight Howard did? Dwight Howard was a was an efficient offensive player, even though he never looked that graceful doing it. And he just Dwight Howard just shot a higher percentage from the floor than Andre did. Just you know, instead of fifty two percent, he shot more like fifty nine percent from the floor. And that I you know I had, I haven't done a full breakdown here, but I th- I think that that was just he got more pick and roll dunks. He got more of his offensive rebounds turned into dunk putbacks or layups, and I think he was actually a better post-up player than Andre is. What, what makes me worried looking at his, his just kind of his per-season stats in the past five years is that you know last year he went from like a 16 points and 15 rebounds guy to a four, now he's a 14 points and 13 and a half rebounds guy, and so his free throw percentage has gone up by 10 percent to 45, 46 percent, the best in his career so far, but. That that means that people have stopped hacking him as much, and he only has four and a half attempts per game instead of seven attempts per game. So that 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 effect we predicted of if he just shot, you know, forty five percent or fifty percent, he'd be way better on offense. Well, the, so his his terrible free throw shooting is not devastating his offensive line, but he's getting less. He's getting one full less offensive rebound per game. He's 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 like you know if you discount his rookie year, he's having his fewest offensive rebounds per game. And that's where I'd like to see him get back to his bread and butter of like just exchange his focus on getting a ball in the post a little bit back for just make sure that you first and foremost are a complete beast on the offensive glass and you will, that will lead you to much better places in your career. Andre Drummond, please, please be willing yeah. to do that for us. It, it, that's right. I mean, it, it's, it's really his, I mean, he's had a couple of years where he was one of the best offensive rebounders in the history of the league. And I don't know if that has to do with effort or, you know, playing more minutes or maybe he's not in a position to rebound. If he's shooting the ball, maybe he's not able to, you know, be in position like when someone else is shooting. I'm not sure what the story is there. But, uh, you know, basically uh, before the season, I thought there was a there was a decent chance he takes the leap this year. But but it's, this wasn't his last chance. But I would say that as of right right now, I have a you know, lower probability that he's going to be you know what we need him to be to be contenders it's it's still possible he, he could do it next year or the year after and it wouldn't be crazy to have a guy take a take the leap at that point in his career i think that the the, the last source of hope is that in addition to you know being an all-star last year and and having a pretty good per in the 20 in the low 20s 
Um, he's been changing the type of player he is. I mean, his first couple of years, he was just a, just run around, try to fly around block shots, rebound, dunk it if you get it near the basket. It, you know, and now he's trying to be a threat. He's he 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 has more assists and turnovers because he's trying to pass out of the post. So he's it's like he's had three rookie years in a row where he's trying to be a different kind of player. And, the, you know, it, it, it sucks for us, and, and our offense isn't as good as it could be. In fact, we're a lot better without him on the floor this year on offense and defense. Um, but it just – I still maintain that hope that we're investing in a future of him learning how to how to do everything he needs to do on offense and defense. It, it just becomes more of a veteran player. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I, I agree with everything you just said. Well, why don't we talk a little bit about John Luer? Uh, that's a that's a bright spot. Yeah, he's really good this year. He's like very efficient, and uh, I I think he really earned a spot in the starting lineup. Um, even if Tobias Harris is a starting caliber player as well, and maybe if you were just ranking the value to our team, Marcus Morris would have been bumped out of the top five. Uh, he's he's shooting, you know, a fifty eight percent two pointers, and you know, solid from. Three point, not not as solid as last year, but overall his effective field goal percentage is up. Yeah, he's been a, a, a solid acquisition. Um, you know, you don't want to overstate uh, how good he is because he has a usage rate of seventeen. So even though it seems like he shoots it like every time he gets the ball, I think he he's just he, he's really efficient. He's his offensive rating is one twenty. That's the highest on the team. I think. What that means is that he is a really good role player playing the role that he needs to play. Like we're using him absolutely right. He his skills complement the other guys on the floor. We can have plan A is Reggie tries to penetrate or uh, Andre in the post. Plan B is we pass it out to Marcus or Tobias or KCP and they hit an open shot or create. Plan C is. Um, maybe those things didn't work because he, they're being double teamed and you pass it to John Luer and he's open and he does something with it. And he's, he's making the most of those opportunities. He's not carrying our offense. So, you know, we're, we're praising him, but he's not going to be our first, second or third best player on the floor, but he could be our fourth best and he could be a real asset on, on both ends of the floor. So it just really helps to have that kind of two way player who can, you know, fit into into a cog in the in a working machine on offense, and um, has the size and uh, team defensive instincts to to play well on defense. So uh, I've been really pleased with him. I think he's a real upgrade over um, Tolliver. Tolliver, gosh, I could, yeah, well, poor Anthony Tolliver. I forgot his name for a second. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I think it's good to try him out in the starting lineup. I'm I'm happy if it works to keep him there or to put him back to the bench and just have him play useful minutes. So, um, you know, President Stan Van Gundy made a good acquisition there in, in getting John Luer. Yeah, and another person I've been keeping an eye on that was a di- maybe we talked about as a disappointment last episode, but we can say there's some signs of life here is Stanley Johnson. Yes. Uh, he was completely invisible to start the season. Uh, and when you really look at it last year, he was sort of confident looking, but when you looked at it, it kind of terribly inefficient on offense. Um, but he just really didn't look like he had any sort of mojo. And I, I think he's starting to look like the player that I was hoping to put positive spin on, namely that he is kind of 
resetting expectations for himself, being a defensive first player, just trying to make the right decision every time he gets the ball, which often is just to pass it and not get any stats for himself, uh, and play solid defense. And, you know, he's actually fought his way back into getting some minutes every night. There, there was a while there where he wasn't – he had several co- DNPs, coach decisions. So I'm glad to see that it does not look like it's completely like this guy's just not going to even make a, make our starting lineup for the whole season. Yeah, seeing him get minutes is good, and uh, Van Gundy's been, you know, when, when he's talking about him, I think after the Atlanta game, he he said, I don't mean this in a bad way, but tonight was a real education for Stanley uh, chasing Kyle Korver on, because Kyle Korver really knows how to play basketball. So he's still getting that kind <laughs> of, like, backhanded compliment uh, type of thing. And, yeah, I, I mean, he's really just doing the minimum possible to, to stay in the lineup. He's trying hard. He has a good attitude, but... He's not delivering yet. You know, we, we, we've had times when young players, you know, really stepped it up all of a sudden. Like Tayshaun Prince was a real nothing uh, his rookie year. And then in the playoffs, he started playing really well that year under Rick Carlisle. And then he was good at, after that. But gosh, he's, just, he's, not, he's, he's not hitting threes. He's hitting less than 30%. He's not hitting free throws as well as he did in college. It. I don't know if it's a yeah, confidence issue or or he he's playing a new role and he's confused or um or it's just it's hard to do well in spotty minutes or or what. But you know, I, I think the the chance of uh Stanley being an all star uh, or a starter in my mind is going down a little bit. I still think it's possible. He's still super young, he's twenty years old. So we've got we've got five years before we need to give up on him. But uh, yeah, but it's funny being a being a, a having podcasted for a couple seasons now and putting our predictions on the record uh, is it's kind of humbling to kind of see your homerism thrown back in your face. I remember saying last season or that you know I, I think this guy's going to be an all star someday. I don't think he's going to be an all star <laughs> or a perennial all star. He might maybe be an all star one season, I, I, but I, I do think that if he could be a a starter like a veteran starter in the league. Um, that that would be nice if he develops into that. Yeah, he. he I, I think I think that's about where we are. I mean, it's it's still possible he could just put it all together. He's he's got the confidence and he's got the body and he's got the pedigree. You know, state and college. You know, playing at the at the top level, state championships and stuff like that. And I've even noticed like he's a pretty good passer. He 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 throws really. I don't know. It's, it sounds weird, but he throws l- really difficult, like cross court flicks with the wrist, or you know, post entry passes, hooking it around some guy. He it, he just looks looks like a really good player when he does stuff like that, and and he and he takes shots that look like they're good shots that should go in. His little like floaters and short jumpers, you could you could see it going in, starting to go in consistently. And it wouldn't look weird like it's some sort of really butt lucky shot that he made. So yeah, I, that, I mean, that's you, why I'm still confident. Took, if you took most players with his stat line, you could not put together a highlight reel that would impress you. Whereas with him, you can put together a stat reel that might convince you that he's like a starting NBA player. Yeah, uh, just by his, you know, like you said, all those things. And so yeah, we'll, we'll see what happens. He's failing like so a far, star. He just can't shoot. <laughs> Was that? He's failing like a star instead of yeah. He's failing yeah. like a star. But thinking about our entire lineup, if you imagine having Reggie Jackson needing to create a shot, um, Tobias Harris needing to create a shot, 
KCP creating a shot, Marcus Morris creating a shot, John Lohr creating a shot. None of those sound awful, you know? None of those sound like most of our starting lineup as of two years ago. So we just have we have a pretty well-rounded, talented group of people uh, who just haven't quite put it all together yet. Uh, and that's where I feel like the optimists can still – maybe the takeaway quote I'll, I'll, I'm going to come away with when I talk to my friends is that, hey, if we just play as good as we did the entire season last year for the rest of the season, we could have the fourth seed. That's a, that's a fact. Now, there's a good reason why there's a, there's a good reason why everyone in, in the middle pack of the East is playing worse this year, and that that's because the Cavs, you know the Cavs are playing a lot better and things like that. So maybe we can't just assume that that's as easy to do as it was last year. But you know, um, I I am not um, I given that we we finally started to show some signs of life since Reggie got back. I kind of feel like we could put it all together, and and as a baseline you know, limp our way into a 500 season and get the seventh seed and maybe win at least a playoff game uh, and then still have hopes to do something beyond that and find ourselves with home court advantage in the, in the first round. I think that that's a really plausible scenario, and it, it's really possible that we could have stretches where we really get it going, where, where you know, Dr. Jekyll instead of Mr. Hyde, and, you know, we're, we get it humming on offense and defense and um and that's how we could end up winning a, a playoff game or a couple of playoff games, depending on who our opponent is. We just, you know, just getting those those feedback loops going in a positive instead of a negative direction. Um, so I, that's our hopes for this season. And then longer term, it really is all about just, you know, uh, can can Andre get, get better post position, shoot from closer, make more of his shots. Get that free throw percentage creeping up, and then and just become more of a veteran anchor on defense. Um, he's he he's still not there. We play better defense without him on the floor, and that's crazy because he's so big. He's such a great rebounder. I just see him so many times jumping, looking like he's jumping to contest a layup, and then the, it it just goes in as though it wasn't contested. So there's something he doesn't get about contesting shots, and I can't see. What the difference is, he looks like he's doing something right. Anyway, he, th- this is all just stuff that I'm sure he's watching in the film room and he has assistant coaches yelling at him about all the time. Um, so I think we have a um, we, we really do have a lot of hope for having a, um, a, a pretty happy end of this season. And I still think we have hope for the long run, too. But it is going to be a challenge and, and nothing is uh, nothing is a given. Yeah, I have to admit that my our hopes of somehow everything coming together and us being a contender in the next two or three years is feeling unrealistic. Um, yeah, but you know what? If if we're if we are a perennial uh, top half of the e, like if if we if we can get to the point where we're it kind of is taken for granted that we're like a four seed or better for the next three or four years, that's gonna be a much happier place for Pistons fans, and and then it is like. Oh my God! We made the first playoffs, playoffs for the first time in seven years or eight years or whatever. Yeah, just think about Atlanta a couple of years ago, winning over sixty games by keeping the same team together and just playing a little bit better all the time, having a great system that works. That I mean, Stan Van Gundy took the Orlando Magic to the finals w- with that system, and they had you know, Dwight Howard, who was a, a Hall of Fame level player, but he wasn't like a LeBron James. So, yeah, there. I guess we could just keep saying the same thing over and over again. There really is hope both for this season and for the future, but it's not like a sure thing. Uh, On that note, we will wrap it up and 
perhaps return to our solid group of dozens of fans uh, sometime in less than two months. <laughs> yep. A happy new year, everybody. <laughs>